Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Genuinely Interested Podcast. Thank you for uh, tuning in for another episode. This week I have Matthew Kenny. Matthew is a plant-based, mostly raw chef, and he has 28 restaurants operating about 15 different international cities and spanning five continents. He was really kind and took the time out uh, from his busy schedule to come on the podcast and talk to us about plant-based foods, about how he got started, which is the complete opposite of being a vegan or a raw vegan. He was uh, grew up in Maine as a hunter, and he basically hunted with his with his father and foraged and fished, and that's how they got the majority of their food. And then at some point during his life. After he became a chef in New York City, he saw that there's a different way of doing things and decided to become vegan, become a raw vegan. And he had to change his whole perspective on things. And since then, he's been opening vegan restaurants all across the world. His food is not what you, I would say, probably what people think is typical vegan food. It's extremely creative. Um, if you go to his Instagram, you'll see some of the food that he makes is just visually stunning. It's unbelievable. And uh, I've ate, you know, at a few of the, I've eaten at a few of the restaurants that he um, owns and the food is just unbelievable. So it's healthy food. It's visually stunning food and it's new. It's something that your palate probably hasn't really tried. So I think that's very interesting. And, you know, he's not afraid to try new things and go to new places where maybe they're not as conscious or aware of vegan food as they are maybe in some of the bigger cities like L.A. or New York or Sydney, London, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, I love people that take risks. He is also an author of 12 cookbooks and a best-selling memoir which I actually uh, listened to earlier this week. Uh, it's very good. You can listen to it on Audible if you, if you guys are interested. And yeah, he was, uh, he was saying that potentially they might come out with vegan-ish travel show, which is something that I've been wanting to see for a while since that doesn't exist on Netflix or Hulu or any other streaming uh, platforms and uh, doesn't exist on YouTube, I believe, as well. Again. Could be, but I've never seen it. And I think that will be an exciting new um, endeavor to take on, go to different places. You know, we don't know much about plant-based food, unfortunately. If you go to most places and if you look at most shows, it's very, very meat heavy. And why not try something new? Why not give a different perspective on something that We've been doing the same for a very long time. As far back as I can remember, it's been the same travel, food travel show. So have something new, something fresh, fun. I like it. Now, as far as the show, if you guys can, like always, subscribe, rate the show, review the show. Something I learned recently, reviews are per country. So if you're reviewing it in the U.S., uh, if you're in London, you're not going to be able to see it. And vice versa. I did not know that. You know, people are, are telling me, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm reviewing the show, but I just, I couldn't see it. So Apple and Spotify and all these different platforms, they don't have a shared language where 
there's no cohesiveness and you can't really know what's going on with the other and you need these third-party platforms to try to extract from there. But even then, it's not really, let's just say there's a lot of innovation that needs to happen in the podcasting space. And I do see it happening slowly. But like I said, those subscriptions, the rating, the reviewing of the show, extremely helpful. And I really appreciate it. Um, every review is really appreciated. And that just tells me that you guys are enjoying the show. And like I said, the I'm going to put everything in the show notes. I'm going to put Matthew's information so you can find him. And I'm going to put my email. So if you have any questions, if there are specific guests you would like to have on the show, I'm always happy to interview interesting people and have uh, interesting conversations. So hit me up. And without further ado, here is this week's guest, Matthew Kenny. The Genuinely Interested Podcast. Hey, Matthew, how you doing? Good. That was, that was a challenge. <laughs> yeah. Every single audio platform I know. <laughs> it's getting tricky for for me like people like me because i do a lot of well especially during these times where everybody's at home so i've been doing tons of um sessions online zoom yeah. and podcasts and the problem is everybody's system is different and yeah. i deemed all these different apps and and you know i'm like trying to figure it out as i go but it's not easy what do most people use i i have seen so many different things mostly zoom i guess Ooh. um yeah. Yeah. But I mean, you know, it's each one has different features. I mean, we're working on an app. It's not a podcast or anything. We're trying to build an app now. And so, you know, it's, this is the way of technology, but eventually the, it will, technology will bring it all together more seamlessly, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I started podcasting earlier this year. And to be honest, I have not found the thing. Like it's so fragmented you have um, different platforms, different apps. They all do different things. And there's not one place where you can kind of do it all. And even the ones that do work, like I'll, I'll, I'll send it to guests and, you know, it's not compatible with that computer or with that browser. So there's just, there's not always there's issues, but I would say 50% of the time I run into to, to issues. So it's definitely yeah. Anyway, well, where are you today? Oh, so right now I'm in uh, Connecticut. Oh, which which part? Uh, West Hartford. Okay, I was born in New Haven. I I didn't live there long, but that's where I was born. Yeah, I know. So where where are you now? Uh, Los Angeles, with Venice, Venice, California. Okay, how's uh, how's Venice? Oh, it's been beautiful lately. It's it's loud because there's construction everywhere, but um, but it's good. The weather's been good, and you know we have. Of course, had the same situations as the rest of the country, but it's a little bit easier going here. Yeah, you know, I, I feel so bad for restaurant owners or really anyone with brick and mortar because they haven't been able to open, right, for months now. And then as soon as you kind of, there's some lacks in, 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 um, in what the, each state allows, now they have now they're scared to open back up and now their restaurants are getting looted and burned and it's not a it's not a pretty situation you know i've seen a few people where it's their whole livelihood that one store and it's it's gone yeah it's it's definitely 
challenging business right now. I mean, we've got a couple places reopened. Um, we opened our food hall in Providence last week, um, and it's doing very well. Mm-hmm. And then we um, Double Zero is reopening tomorrow. Our restaurant in Australia is opening tomorrow. So we still have another 30 to get back open, but slowly but surely. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's definitely challenging. Uh, so have you, you know, kind of felt, I'm sure like a lot of other restaurant owners, you felt uh, the, the, the COVID hit? Um, you know, I'm sure with, uh, you have, I don't know how many restaurants, but probably over 20, right, across the world? Yeah, I think we have close to 40 in total, but they're not all open yet. A lot of them are new and haven't. We were supposed to open five restaurants in March and April, and all five openings got pushed back because we couldn't even finish construction. Um, But, um, yeah, we felt it. I mean, in a way, um, we are diversified. I mean, we we have a lot of licensing agreements, and... um, and we're in a uh, two. We're in three different consumer packaged goods lines, either equity or licensing. And we have um, our online education just launched, and our media platforms and books and so forth. So we felt it, uh, but we we acted pretty quickly to refocus and restructure so that we could get through it, you know, comfortably. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, I want to touch on all those things a little bit later, but uh, I figured, you know, in the beginning, we kind of talk about you a little bit, um, kind of you, where you grew up. I know you grew up in Maine, right? I did. I was born in New Haven, lived in Milford for my first year, and then in Maine until after college, and then I moved to New York City, um, and I was there for 20 years, and then moved here, I guess, 10 years ago, wow. roughly. And I mean, you you did a pretty serious switch i mean i uh i read that you were a hunter when you grew up and now you're uh you're a vegan and a raw vegan so that's 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 pretty much the ends of the spectrum as far as uh culinary wise yeah definitely from going from french cooking and um all the the techniques and butter and cream and animal products to uh raw plant-based food is yes pretty much as biggest extreme you can have (laughs) <laughs> and i mean i uh you know when i was reading about it or, or or to be when i was listening to the audiobook when you were in maine you were you were hunting fishing foraging you pretty much got a good chunk of of if not all the food uh that you ate off the land and you know personally i never understood hunting i never liked hunting it's not something that i'm interested in but when i was listening to it i could you know, when I was listening to the story and how you do it and, and, and the connection to the land, I could really understand, I think, for the first time, how it can appeal to some people. You know, I, I definitely got it off, the, off that just that one story of how you, you know, grew up. Yeah, well, it was, you know, more about the journey of going into the woods and getting connected to the planet. I, I Frankly, as much as I could never hunt now, and I stopped hunting well before I became plant-based, um, just because I didn't didn't want to do that anymore, but I, um, you know, don't think that I would have the senses, senses, sensory sort of experience and and sort of skills that I have now if I hadn't grown up that way. Really connecting with the seasons and knowing where our food comes from and what a difference it makes to get something local or seasonal or that was you know fresh. And I think being able to apply all that to plants has been really helpful for me. And now you eat mostly raw? 
Not necessarily. A lot of raw food. I mean, a lot of juices and, you know, greens and ferments and things like that during the day. But at night, I usually have something that's a little more like, I don't know, Ayurvedic, you know, something, yeah. you know, something co- lightly cooked um, with some grain or pasta and, and vegetables, but all plant-based and a lot of raw, but I'm not a strict raw foods person. I was at periods of time and some days I'll be all raw, but not, you know, don't really have any rules around it. Yeah, I think that's good. I think there's a lot of um, rigidness and then, and, and I don't know if tribalism is the right word, but people who are vegan and if, if you, you know, if you hear that there's a certain vegan celebrity or influencer and then they'll, they'll put a post that, oh, I ate an egg or I ate something and they get just completely pummeled by, you know, by the comments and there's just no wiggle room to, there's no nuance. Everything has to be either in the, in this side or that side. And there's just, I feel like nowadays there's just not enough nuance for people to try new things or uh, explore new things or just be what they want to be without the fear of some sort of a repercussion. Yeah. I mean, a lot of our team, you know, they all love and respect the plant-based diet, but they're not all vegans and, you know, we don't judge. Um, personally, I, I am a hundred percent because I feel like it's important if I'm representing the brand that, you know, I have consistency and, um, and also just over many, many years, just got comfortable with a fully plant-based diet that that was best for me. But, you know, they're, they're that we started using the word plant-based specifically for that reason to be more flexible and appeal to some who might not want to do it all the time, but do it as much as they can. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, originally you were, uh, quote unquote, like a regular chef, right? You were working with, with meat, fish, dairy, everything. And there was a certain point, I guess, that you just decided to, to switch. You decided to both your diet and the restaurants that you wanted to open. Maybe can you kind of take us through what, you know, what happened and what, what happened to that transition? Well, I was always into, um, into fitness and wellness even way before I was plant-based because, you know, looking back to when I was in high school, for example, in the early eighties, a vegan diet wasn't seen as a healthy diet. There weren't enough, there weren't enough techniques and there wasn't enough knowledge for most people to, um, to eat a balanced vegan diet. And it just was the products weren't available and there hadn't been a lot of exploration into development of recipes to make it exciting because we all want good food that looks good. So I ate what I considered a very clean, um, you know, low fat, a lot of vegetables, small amounts of protein um, diet. And, and then, you know, so that was a big passion of mine. And then when I moved to New York city after college, I started to uh, fall in love with restaurants, but it wasn't really the food. It was just the experience of all the little details that make a restaurant great and the energy in the dining rooms and, you know, everything from music to a choice of a wine glass to lighting. And, um, and can, excuse me one second. I'm just going to go quieter upstairs. For sure. So you're almost like a conductor, right? Like you like to have every little uh, thing in the restaurant, like a symphony that you put together that is a perfect masterpiece. Yeah. I mean, it's a creative uh, exercise putting 
putting one together, you have so many different choices to make and, and they change a little bit every single day. And I went to um, French cooking school because I wanted to learn about the culinary side of things, you know, how the, how the kitchen worked and all that. And I, it unintentionally became a chef. It just, it was really uh, appealing to me. I loved the energy of the kitchen and really loved working with my hands. And so I became a chef and I did again what I had been doing before, which was cook food that I considered to be healthy. My, my um, training was French cooking, but a lot of the food that I was actually making, you know, I would apply like more of a Mediterranean approach to it, getting away from butter and lighter sauces and a lot of citrus and herbs and so forth. So it was after many years of a lot of yoga and meditation and, um, and so forth that I started to go more and more toward a plant-based diet. And eventually I went all toward a plant-based diet and it was a great moment because I realized I could bring together my passion for health and wellness with uh, culinary art and there would be no sort of separation of the two and it was total alignment. So I was very excited about it. And what was the first uh, plant-based restaurant that you opened in, in New York? Uh, it was called Pure Food and Wine. And I mean, how big of a risk was that at the time to start a plant-based restaurant? I mean, I'm sure there weren't, I mean, I'm sure there's, there were vegan restaurants, but probably not a lot of high-end plant-based restaurants in New York City at the time. And everyone knew you as a, you know, a certain type of chef. And then to come out with something completely new might, you know, that must have been a risk. Um, yeah, well, opening any restaurant is a pretty big risk. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, um, you know, it was, uh, yeah, it was a very way ahead of its time. And it uh, struggled in the beginning, and then it started doing, you know, pretty well after seven, eight months. And it was, I left about a year later, um, and my partners uh, in the venture ran it because I, I really wanted to do something that was more of a lifestyle brand, but it continued to thrive for eight or nine years after that. And what, I mean, what do you think, because I think when people look at plant-based or, or vegan food, they look at they think bland or they think uh, not enough taste, not enough, um, not enough of what they're used to. What do you think some of the misconceptions about vegan food is? Well, a lot of those misconceptions are founded in the sense that vegan food was, you know, perhaps a little bland and, and not necessarily, you know, a fully developed cuisine. Mm -hmm. But these days there are some, unbelievable plant-based options and not just vegan restaurants. I mean, I'm, most of my meals are in non-vegan restaurants and I've had, you know, upscale and casual dinners all over the world that have been amazing, like beautiful food, full flavored, um, produced by, you know, chefs that are not even known for plant-based food. So their skill sets are changing and there's more and more of an emphasis on plant-based. So I mean, it, it to me is the most exciting way to eat. And I think most chefs would tell you that as well. Um, most of the, you know, Rene Redzepi at Noma or Alex Atala and at Dom in Brazil, some of the top chefs in the, in John George von Richten, some of the top chefs in the world will say that they're, they find it more exciting to cook plants than, than animals. Yeah. So do you see some sort of a trend happening? Are there other chefs that, you know, have cooked, uh, quote unquote, regular food their whole lives. And now they're starting to, to, to go more in the direction of plant-based. Um, 
Yes and no. Uh, yes, in the sense that their menus are absolutely um, the plant-based representation on menus is growing dramatically. I mean, when I opened my first restaurant, it was pretty similar to almost every um, you know high-end menu in New York at the time. There would be some vegetarian options on the menu, but certainly no vegan options or very, very few, unless somebody put a hummus on the menu or something. Yeah. But now, pretty much every major um, restaurant in the world will do a plant-based tasting menu or at least a vegetarian menu. And the regular menus, of course, are uh, including a much higher op- um, percentage of, of vegan options. I mean, I traveled in probably 15 countries last year, and I don't think I went to a single restaurant where they didn't fully understand the principles behind vegan or how to make a good meal from it. Yeah, so you, you mentioned that you traveled a lot. You have a favorite cuisine. Is there like one country or maybe a couple of countries that you, you know, you want to go to those countries specifically because you like the, the type of food they eat there and the cuisine? Well, I love Mediterranean cuisine, but also Eastern Mediterranean. So, you know, Turkey, um, all the coastal Mediterranean countries. But I mean, there are things I like everywhere. You know, I love going to uh, Colombia and having grilled hearts of palm or going to brazil and having a, a vegan muqueca and i love mexican so no i think that i like that i like most all cuisines actually i like variety yeah yeah i mean i'm, I'm originally from israel so you know eating uh, hummus and uh, and trina and um, olives and dates and just light food a lot of salads is is the standard and then when i came to the u.s you know, my, my diet changed. Um, and even though I, I was vegan, I was still eating things that I, you know, I weren't, when I was in Israel, I wasn't vegan, but I was eating, I would say at least 60 to 70% vegan just by default, just because that's the food that was available. And, um, and here, once you come here, you're like, oh, wow, especially if in New York City, there's all this variety and, and, and the worst food and the best food that you can eat. And um, I definitely found myself, you know, struggling for a while because you do want to, you almost want to binge. It's like, oh, wow, all this food that I just didn't have available before. And now that I do have it, I want to eat it. But then after a while, you're like, "Uh, this doesn't actually make, even if it's vegan, I don't actually feel really good eating all this. So eventually I transitioned back to, I wouldn't say full Mediterranean, but definitely more of what I was used to when I, you know, when I grew up and I, I just felt better. Yeah, I hear the food in Israel is amazing. I I heard that several times. Can't wait to go. Yeah, you should you should definitely come. I'll take you on a tour. That would be great. <laughs> um so do you see, you know, I would say plant-based food is obviously very popular in LA, San Francisco, Chicago, New York, all the big cities, but have you seen maybe that trend happening in in some of the more rural areas in the US? Um yeah, I have. I mean, Especially mid-sized cities, like we have our our largest business is Plant City, and that's in Providence, Rhode Island, which is only two hundred and fifty thousand people. Mm-hmm. But even the town, uh, well, the town next to where I grew up in Maine, they have the state's largest um, food co-op. Everything's organic, tons of plant-based options. Um, there's a vegetarian restaurant in that town. It's only a town of like five or six thousand people. So I am not everywhere, but you know, if you go to Oklahoma City or 
most cities in Arizona, you can definitely find a vegan cafe and a really good juice bar and, and plenty of options in the retail stores as well. And there are pockets all over the, you know, all over the country where people are doing more and more of it. So, you know, I, I unfortunately, most of my travel is in major cities. I love being out in the countryside. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was in, uh, I was in Rwanda in Africa, um, about three months ago and, you know, it was just served like some incredible, um, plant-based foods. I didn't even know what all of it was. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you, you open restaurants in some very unlikely places, um, you know, Bahrain, Edmonton, Buenos Aires. Um, is, you know, is that because business-wise you see that as some sort of an emerging market or is there, you know, a lot of work on your guys' end where you have to educate and the consumers? And do you try to maybe copy what the local flavors are or do you, you know, bring something completely new and then blow their minds? Um. A little bit of both. I mean, first of all, we do, you know, as much as I'd love to go out into the mountains and open this idyllic cafe, I mean, we do try to stay, you know, largely within major cities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for example, uh, Sao Paulo, Brazil, Buenos Aires, um, Bogota. These are huge cities. And, um, and so, you know, there's a there's a big audience and even though brazil is the largest exporter um of beef in the world and buenos aires is one of the largest consumers of beef in the world you still have you know tens and tens of thousands of people who are into wellness and and yoga and meditation who want a plant-based diet so there's you know in some ways these are better opportunities than doing another one in california yeah. Well, we already have 50 or so plant-based restaurants. Whereas if you go to Brazil and Sao Paulo, the city's massive. Um, there might only be like three. So it's when we opened in Brazil, the first two days we were open and we had a thousand guests and had to close for a couple of days to reorganize. So wow. those, yeah, we, we go there because we, of course we love being, bring something new to these communities, but we also go there because we think that, you know, we can be successful and, and help our partners be successful. Um, we, you know, it depends on the project, whether we take one of our existing concepts or our classic recipes, or if it's a hybrid, like our partners in Brazil, you know, they really run the business day to day and they're very creative and they've added a lot of, um, a few classic Brazilian dishes like palm de queijo, the cheese bread that everybody loves there. And at the same time, they felt like it would be more exciting to the community to bring in, you know, some international flavors. So it just depends on where. Yeah. Um, do you get, I mean, do you get contacted by, you know, certain places, let's like say Bahrain, do they contact you and say, hey, you know, we'd love you to open a restaurant here? Or do you go and you try to open up new markets? Pretty much everything international is, is um organic meaning you know we've been contacted by a hotel group or an entrepreneur or somebody who wants to bring our our um you know our brands to their country or city and can you maybe take us i mean you've had a lot of successful restaurants and i mean i don't know if you figured out some special sauce but i mean what's the process when you come up with a new restaurant like the the theme of it uh, the food 
you know, maybe we can take us through what the, the thought process is. Well, I think we've gotten better at it. I've, had, I've also had a lot of restaurants that, that didn't work as well. And, you know, that's partly because of having the wrong location, not giving enough attention to design or economics. Um, but it's also a product of, especially in the plant-based sector, it's also a product of the market not being ready, which fortunately it is. I mean, this is a rapidly growing market. So plant-based is fashionable now. And, um, you know, but the, the key components are the same as with any restaurant, really do need the proper location. And it has to be the right concept for the demographic. You know, if, if it's not a high traffic area, then it might be easier to have a restaurant that's more special occasion, slightly higher price point, and, you know, not such a large place. But if it's a, a really busy, bustling corner of Manhattan, you can do a fast, casual concept and focus on volume. But there isn't any one formula. We really just, we don't do a lot of market research necessarily, just try to go on on instinct. But also our team is comprised of people from many parts of the world in the country, and we've all traveled a lot. So we usually have a decent amount of intelligence amongst the group to make our decisions. And when you, you know, when you come up with a new menu, um, do you do taste tests or do other people do, or do you, you know, do you put a group kind of like how you would do when you put out a new product or do you just know, Hey, this is amazing. This is great. People will love this and let's put it out and, and see what happens. We, uh, well, first of all, it all starts in our test kitchen, MKTK, right. and it's, um, it's our innovation kitchen and we have our director of culinary for the company uh, leads a small team, um, several chefs that are all incredibly talented on their own with a lot of diversified backgrounds. And if we're starting a new concept, like right now we're building um, an Ayurvedic inspired restaurant in, um, in Florida. And so they'll do a draft menu and I'll give a little feedback and, and then, you know, they'll do another draft and, internally they'll prepare some dishes and they'll try them all and photograph them and if i'm able to i'll try them as well um although at this point we've developed so much content together from reading and description i kind of have a good idea what it what they are going to do yeah um and then in in the instances where we have a partner like this this is going to be in a hotel in florida so we will once we kind of are comfortable on our end with the menu then we'll schedule a tasting with um, ownership and management of the hotel and, and then make another round of tweaks. And, you know, after that, we have to do the training and the opening. And during the opening, you realize a lot of things that worked in the test environment don't work in the restaurant settings. They make a few more tweaks. It's, it's a really, um, ongoing organic process. And I mean, in, in the restaurant, if there is a dish that doesn't sell well, do you scrap it or is this something you leave? Cause you know, even if a few people like it, we'll, we'll leave it on the menu. Uh, there are times when we'll leave something on the menu. If we think that over time it will, it will start to grow in popularity or if it's really symbolic to the concept. Mm -hmm. Rarely do we leave anything that doesn't sell much at all on the menu because we want everything to be fresh and rotated all the time. And, you know, be selling like 50 of one dish, on a menu and only like one or two a night of another yeah 
unless it's a dish that you can make to order, it doesn't make a lot of sense to keep it. Yeah. And, you know, we look at menus like, like real estate, you, you, you want to maximize the opportunity to give the guests as, as many options and, and different types of experiences as possible. So we don't really keep it if it's not moving at all, but it could, it doesn't have to be the most popular to stay on the menu. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, your food is, is I've, I've had it. it. It tastes amazing, but also visually in some of the play in some of the places that I haven't been, but I've just seen pictures of visually it's, it's incredible. Um, you know, and I just wonder how much stock do you put into, into local and trying to get the best um, herbs and, and plants and everything from, you know, the local surroundings or foraging maybe in, in, a, in a, you know, in, in the local forest or something versus, or maybe those, or maybe even those two don't even um, have to be different, but um, versus visual, like is the visual effect the most important when you put a plate in front of someone They have to kind of be, oh, wow, this, this looks amazing. Yeah, there's a, in the test kitchen setting, of course, we can focus on one dish for an hour to try to perfect it. And when you put it into the rotation of a restaurant and serving 30 of those dishes in an hour and one person's doing it instead of five people doing the one dish, it's hard to always maintain the exact presentation that we want. Yeah. But I think they're both critically important. Anytime we go to a new market, one of the first things we look at is where are we going to find our products? And then we try to get the best products we can. So presentation or, or nothing comes ahead of like the integrity of the ingredients. However, presentation is really important for, for me and for our brand because I felt like in the beginning, we're trying to make headway into a, a market that's dominated by animal products And one of the advantages that you have serving plant food is how vibrant and colorful and beautiful it is. So we really want to maximize the strengths and that will actually lead people to eat it and enjoy it and then have it again. So it's, they're, they're all important. Those, those two are critically important. Yeah, I was going to ask, do you ever miss working with, you know, with meat, with dairy, with all the ingredients that you used to work with? No, never. I, I don't miss it at all. I didn't even like working with meat when I, I never ate a lot of meat anyway. Yeah. Um, but it never really excited me to cook it. And I always loved making salads. Like it was one of my <laughs> favorite things to make because you can do so much. It's not just like greens and a, and a vinaigrette. I mean, there's just yeah. so many amazing combinations you can do, but no, I don't miss it at all. As a matter of fact, like, um, especially with dairy. There's just absolutely no reason we would ever need it with all the, you know, we make yogurts and ice creams and cheeses and creams and we can do anything uh, with plants. So there's no, there's no reason for me to miss it. Yeah. I mean, I, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm lactose intolerant, so I never really, I stopped probably having dairy when I was like 12. So I haven't had dairy in a good 24, 25 years or so. And um, I remember when I was small, everyone, you know, there was like kids who would make fun or say like, oh, you'd have like brittle bones. But I ended up being, you know, uh, uh, like an amateur Muay Thai fighter. So that's, that's Thai boxing. And I have some of the strongest bones <laughs> out of everyone. So there's all these misconceptions that as a kid, you know, I grew up with. 
And then over time, like that has actually nothing to do. There's no concrete evidence of it. And it just has nothing to do with the actual reality of things. Yeah, it's true. I mean, a lot of lobbying going on to send people the wrong messages, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, as far as, as kitchens, um, I think I read something there where you, where you said where um, you would like you would get physical at times. Like, how crazy do the kitchens get? Is it you know Gordon Ramsay style where it's screaming and it just seems like chaotic, or is that just over dramatized for uh, TV purposes? I think it's changed a lot over the years. It was a pretty rough and aggressive um, environment, and a lot of kitchens when I started, it wasn't pleasant, but yeah chefs are a lot more conscious these days and try to take care of their teams properly and i don't know too many places where it's like that now it's certainly not in any of our restaurants but i'm sure they're still out there yeah because i remember i i I, you know i try not to watch any reality tv i just i i can't uh i can't stand it but you know i would watch some youtube clips of him just screaming at these poor people I'm like this. This can't be the norm. <laughs> this uh, <laughs> like there's there's no way that's conducive to making them better at what they're doing. They're just gonna be really really scared and really really nervous. And I just yeah. I, I, that's why I always like I always wanted to know if that's has any form in reality or it's just you know it's just drama and it's just reality TV. It's but, definitely dramatized. Good to know. Have you ever thought about doing some sort of a show like a travel food show, kind of like an Anthony Bourdain, but for, you know, plant-based foods? I have thought about it. Um, you know, mo- most of the, we've had a lot of TV opportunities and most of them have tried to steer us toward reality or toward a, a narrative that wasn't the way we want to express it. So what we're yeah. doing is building um, a subscription model that will be it will also be housed on an app, but it will be a subscription content model. And it will be exactly that in travel, not just me, but others on our team travel all over the world, a lot of content. It won't just be about our business or it won't even just be about food. And that that's how we're going to um, express it. And then we don't have to rely on a network or yeah. a big crew or whatever. So it's kind of just, the new age way of doing it, I guess. Yeah, it's uh, internet democratizes this whole uh, this whole thing. You don't have to, you know, you don't have to ask permission from anyone. You can start your own thing. And when uh, when when are you guys launching this? Well, I hope um, I hope in the fall. We have to uh, do a lot of work first, and we're just getting started on it. We just launched Food Future Institute, so. Yeah. And we'll be working with the same developer for the coding. And I'm not sure we'll be ready by then, but that's my goal. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd, love to, I'd love to see that. I think that's uh, underrepresented. You know, like everyone loves travel and everyone like, loves food. And there's so many of these, um, you know, we just watched the other day. Um, what's that show? Uh, um, I think it's called Somebody Feed Phil. Um, oh, I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's the guy that um, I think is the creator of uh, Everyone Loves Raymond. He's this uh, quirky Jewish guy from Queens, and he goes around the world and he eats food. It's you know, it's a standard one, but like he's he's kind of like quirky and lovable, and um, it's a nice show. But again, like when you see the food, sometimes you're like, 
Like, <laughs> I don't know if I could personally eat that. Like, the experience looks amazing. And, like, going to Morocco and experiencing a meal at, you know, at, at a local person's uh, a home, you know, overlooking the mountains. Like, the whole experience is, is unbelievable. But sometimes I just feel like it would be amazing to see just one show that would do the same thing, but just, you know, with, with plant-based foods. Because, again, I'm sure there's thousands and thousands of, of restaurants and there's all these, you know, I saw somewhere where they said that we only eat uh, about, I think it's like six or 7% of, of available plants. So you're talking about 90 plus percent of, of plants that we haven't yet tried. And, and I don't know if that's because they're harder to domesticate or, or whatever the reason, but there's just, I think so much more food available out there that we just haven't tapped into yet. Yeah, I'm sure that's true. So you're, um, you know, I saw recently that uh, you're 55, but essentially when I, when I looked at, the, at your videos, you look 35. And, uh, oh, thanks. <laughs> and, you know, my wife, I, I was talking to her the other day and I was telling her that I was going to interview. And the first, she was like, I want to know what his secrets are. Like that was the first question she had. So I told her I would definitely ask you what, what the secret is. You know, nothing so um, esoteric. I think hydration, not overeating. But you talked about that a little bit. Yeah. You know, not not eating these big meals where we really have to tax our body, and obviously, fresh air and and fitness and organic, fresh, clean ingredients. Um, you know, some supplementation, although I went years without it. But breathing and meditation and just really. Well, to me, it's obvious. It's not obvious yeah. to a lot to a lot of people, but probably is to you, you know, and, and me. But just the the basic things we all need to do, and it's surprisingly how how it's sorry, it's really surprising how many people don't understand the importance of chewing their food or of hydration or of getting enough sleep. And I just try to do the basics as well as I can, and also try to be creative. I it's usually something different. Like the last couple of months I've been trying to teach myself piano and that's such oh. a good outlet. Kind of forget yeah. about any injuries or headaches or whatever you have when you're yeah. sitting there playing a piano. How's that going? Pretty well, but I'm inconsistent. It really seems to come the best sort of, I'm doing it without reading music. I'm just trying to do it intuitively. So it's kind of, Usually something I'm better at at like 11 or 12 at night before I sleep. Yeah. Yeah, I've been trying to learn guitar for the last 10 years. And <laughs> <it's>, <laughs> for some reason, it's just not been going well for me. I don't know why. Every time I start, I stop. It just, uh, but I you know, I, like you said, I, it's something I really want to do. So I'm, I, I always tell myself that one day I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll stick to it. Um, yeah, it's. But, you know, it doesn't matter. It could take 10 years, five years. Just just doing it is what, you know, we're just growing in new ways all the time, I think is important. Yeah. What do you feel about um, cleanses and about uh, fasting? I did some of them when I first went plant-based and I felt incredible. And then my diet was clean for so many years that I never really felt like I needed it. But it's funny you asked, I was just looking at, cleanses this morning because I have, haven't been feeling like my best. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at different sort of gallbladder or liver cleanses. And, and anyway, instead of, you know, having avocado toast or something for breakfast or whatever, 
I ordered, you know, six juices. And so I'm kind of doing one today, just, <laughs> just based on how I felt this morning. Wow. So you, you had six juices today? No, I haven't had them all yet. I, you know, I had two, to- I ordered two tonics with different herbs and so forth. And I ordered another four juices, but you know, that would be most of my diet for the day. Cool. So it is something that you want to, so that, that basically you incorporate once in a while, I guess. When I need it, you know, the same way that I think, I guess animals will fast if they're not feeling well. I just knew that I maybe haven't had enough sleep or maybe there's a little too much stress or whatever it is. I just knew that I needed some sort of reset today um, and maybe tomorrow and the next day, but we'll see how it goes today. I have to tell you when I, when I um, heard the, um, the part that you did the cleanse and then you drank that huge cup of, <laughs> of olive oil, I, I, I felt physically ill. <laughs> just that mental picture of just drinking all that olive oil. <laughs> it just, it was, uh, it was that torture. really, I, ne- it was, it was, I, I had to give up, you know, 12 days or so of my, my life. I felt really weak and not great a lot of the time during that. But the year after I finished that, I never felt so good in my life. Yeah, I, I think I think that's such a testament to to what you were saying. Like, I think people um, overcomplicate things um, a lot of times. You know, the diets and 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 all these fasts. They'll try to, you know, they'll be this guru, and he he's going to tell them some crazy thing that they need to do. Where for the most part, it's it's simple. It's a little bit of juicing, maybe a little bit of fasting, uh, eating simple. Like, it's just not super complicated and, and people want always they're always looking for that next thing The this guy is he's the next guru and he's gonna bring you to enlightenment and whatever it is where for the most part it's it's kind of like how I, I see this all the time um there's so many guys selling you snake oil on the internet i'm gonna teach you how to make your fair, your first million just subscribe <laughs> to this channel and uh pay you know a hundred dollars each week or whatever it is and at the end of the day, it's, 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 I'm not, I don't want to oversimplify it, but it's pretty simple. Just like grind it out, stick to it, keep doing what you're doing. It's difficult, but eventually it'll pay off. And there's not a lot of tricks to it. It's not, uh, you know, there's not some secret sauce that someone has and then you don't. And if you pay them that X amount of money each month, you're going to find out. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, so yeah, I mean, you've pretty much run the full gamut in your professional career. You went, you had some very high highs and a lot of low lows, maybe not a lot, but just a few. Um, and then high highs again. Um, do you believe that kind of shaped you into who you are today as a person and as a chef and as a restaurant owner? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely went through, I've been through a lot of challenges and difficult times probably more than most and it's not that i enjoyed any bit of that yeah but going through things and and rising past them and and learning how resilient we can be and how resilient businesses can be and and so forth um you know of course there are lessons in there that are invaluable i don't recommend that path for everybody but certainly helpful yeah, but I mean, I think you do grow with with some sort of hardships, right? Um, it's like that, uh, you know, pressure makes diamonds type of situation where 
you have to go through a little bit of darkness to, to get to the light on the, on the other end of the tunnel. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and, and, you know, if we go through those things, it's probably, we probably needed some life lessons um, yeah. and navigation support. So it's, it's not really helpful to dwell on it and wish that it had gone this way or that way. I think it's just important to take away whatever positive lesson there was there and keep going. What, I mean, what do you think if someone wants to try this, this new diet, right? Plant-based, they've never really tried it. Is there something, and I know, I know there's a lot of, you know, endless amounts of, of pages and blogs and YouTube channels you can go, but what's a simple go-to that they could make, you know, in their house that is, is delicious and, and nutritious and will be fairly um, easy for them to make? You mean uh, a good site on the internet that has nice recipes? No, no, like what's like a dish that you would maybe say like, hey, take, uh, you know, take this, take these four, five, six ingredients and easily you can make X dish and that'll be, you know, delicious. And that's just kind of a go-to that you could always do um, in, in your house. Yeah, you know, I, w- I wish there there are so many people doing great work like that online and as a chef, I'm always looking at the next recipe, so I don't really follow recipes. Okay. And I should be able, I should, but I don't. I'm just going <laughs> to pick things up and try to make something new that I've never done before. But like Ella in the UK, and there are just so many people, uh, former students of ours, that are posting all the time. I mean, I think just going on Instagram and like typing in plant-based is, is great. With our food, we're we're... I would say for the most part, a little more complex with our recipes and even some of our simpler dishes, like our heirloom tomato lasagna probably has 20 ingredients. But I think, you know, but I at home, and unfortunately I don't have recipes or, or know exactly where to get them at home. I do like two or three components. I might bake a, a yam and brush it with a little coconut oil and, and sea salt and steam some broccoli and, and saute shiitake mushrooms and perhaps, you know, add another raw component. And that's so basic. And if I I really wanted it a little more elaborate, I'll just make a really three-minute tahini sauce with like lemon, tahini, ginger, touch of miso, and olive oil and water. And that's like, to me, a dream meal. I love that meal. Um, And, you know, it's it's inexpensive, it's fast, easy to make, and uh, super nutritious. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's funny. You'll see like these um these chefs on on social media and and they'll put a post of of this really, you know, something that looks fairly simple and then it, it but you know, at the end it's like this beautiful dish and then you go and try it at home and <laughs> and it just comes out like it tastes good but just the presentation it's just it's never the same. I'm like, "Oh, why did I get it?" Like it just I followed the 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 instructions but it just it never comes out the same. Well, chefs have a lot of tricks. They know how to use a knife. They know how to touch an ingredient and lay it down delicately. It's like a race car. You can, you can give two different people a race, the same race car, yeah. and the experienced driver is going to make it look like it's just effortless, and then the next person's going to have a hard time getting out of the gate. And it's the same with food. I mean, food isn't that hard, so it's definitely easier to translate than a race car, but really high-end, gorgeous food is you know, it requires skills that you can't even put into a recipe. 
Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, my coach used to say, if you look good doing something, you're doing it well. And I always yeah, thought okay. that was, yeah, I always thought that was very true. That's a good way of saying it. Yeah. So, I mean, is there any, you know, every, every couple of months or years, there's these new trends that come out, you know, there's a new superfood. Um, is there anything that's up and coming that, that you kind of, maybe that people haven't heard of that you think is going to be the new uh, trend or superfood in the next uh, couple of years? The next superfood. Um, good question. I think, I don't know. I, I think this isn't a food ingredient, but I just think that ferments, sauerkrauts and kimchi and love it and love it. tree nut cheeses are, are, you know, have been underrated in, in the general population, whereas they're used so much in Korea and other parts of the world. And I think fermented foods are going to be, um, and not just food, liquids as well, mm. kombucha, kefir, kefir. I think, I think it's going to become really important as we understand the necessity of probiotics and, and how healing they are. I love fermented food. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that. <laughs> I just, I, uh, we eat a lot of fermented food back home. And um, again, it's one of those things where I kind of didn't eat here for the first few years because you didn't really have it. And then recently I've been making a conscious effort to try and buy, you know, fermented carrots and then pickles and then sauerkraut and all these different things. And my wife loves kimchi. So that as well. And it's just, it's, you know, packed with probiotics. It's just, you just feel good eating it. Yeah, absolutely. I love them too. Um, so this is a bit of a, <laughs> a weird question, but I think it's something that at least half the country would love to either have this problem but uh how does it feel owing uh trump money <laughs> <laughs> um well the funny thing is he he was my first landlord is that what you're referring to yeah yeah maybe you could tell the story for maybe people who, who you know haven't read the book or don't know the story yeah i mean our rent was incredibly high we we ran a restaurant that was pretty much full day and night for 10 years and um and I was, my ideals at that time were just to keep building the restaurant because I was passionate about it. It was building our, my career and I thought it was an amazing place. And yet the rent was so high and all the additional expenses, such as shining the bronze um, sign that said Trump, Trump, Trump all the way around the building. It was a couple thousand dollars a month just for that. Wow. So over that 10 years of that business, we paid Trump's company, probably three and a half million dollars. And, um, and I took a basically $50,000 salary from the restaurant that entire time period. Thankfully, we had other businesses going on, but um, it was, and yeah, I mean, he only had a couple buildings at that time. Um, and so we were one of the largest retail tenants he had. So it was a more direct uh, relationship i never would have dreamed he'd be a politician but i don't know it was a while ago though so it's hard to remember everything yeah yeah it's uh, just it was, it was so funny right like any any story now that's correlated with him you know when you hear about it, it's like oh okay like it's not he's not just some celebrity like oh i owe the president money or i uh you know whatever it is it's like i did that with the president so that's uh it's a nice story to have yeah no it's again it's one of those experiences 
Yeah. So Part I, mean, I guess my, I guess my last question. Um, so recently, I you know um, I know that you branched out into the CPG space. How how different have you found it from uh, opening and, and running restaurants? I think CPG is a lot harder than you know. Sometimes people will say to me like business advisors, they're like, "Well, restaurants are hard. You should just do products." And it's not that simple. You don't just do a product. I mean, creating the product is easy enough. Getting it to market and getting it approved and labeled and and produced and distributed and in the stores and on the shelves is, you know, it's a whole artwork, art form in and of itself. And I've learned that I need to work with people who have expertise in that field um, because I I definitely underestimated the challenge of it. And thankfully, I'm I work you know, in some of my CPG relationships with partners that this is what they've been doing for years. Without that, I, I would have a very hard time with it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had two, you know, CPG companies uh, a couple of years back and, um, you know, you, you, you go, you go into it naively because you have a good idea and, uh, it was, it was very difficult. Like you said, just the whole, process from soup to nuts and uh the the development the distribution the marketing um signing deals with uh and then you just even like direct to consumer online sales it's uh and then the and the other big problem you have is you know you have a very short shelf life because you want to produce a really high quality product so yeah a lot of a lot of issues that we also ran into but uh it was it was a fun experience you know no, it's great, and products are necessary. Um, I would say this, that future products I do, I'm going to focus on simplicity, and I don't mean that it would be a dumbed, dumbed-down product, but simple is good when you're working in CPG, I think. Yes, yes, I agree. Simple is good. Less is more uh, in CPG and in life and uh, in a lot of other areas as well. L- less is more. Absolutely. Um, all right, man. So I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate it. I had a great time. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, really nice talking to you. And um, stay well. And uh, are you going to be in Connecticut all summer? No, no. I think we're going to head back um, end of the month, uh, potentially. We'll see. We've been here already for two months. And um, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I think uh, end of the month, it'll be probably... It'll probably be time to go back. I haven't been in New York in a while, so we'll have to see what's going on over there. I haven't either. I was there right when this was starting. Um, I don't even know. There might have been a couple cases in New York, but it was it was starting to empty out. And yeah. the full flight was empty, and it was right before everything happened. So hopefully things settle down there and we get a, we, we end up you know having some semblance of a good summer. Yeah, I was I was one of the first ones, I think. So luckily, we we, we got over that. And um, yeah, that's why we kind of wanted to leave the city. We wanted to come to the suburbs and just have a little bit of a quiet time. Absolutely. So where um, well, where, where, where can people find you on uh, on social media? Um, Matthew Kenny Cuisine is both our website domain, www.matthewkennycuisine.com and um, my Instagram. We have multiple accounts with our various businesses, but they're all linked on our website. There's a lot of content on our website under different segments, hospitality and education. Each business has its own social as well. So 
there's a lot to look at and find, and we try to share as much information as we can as well. Awesome. And I'll, I'll put everything in the show notes so people will make it easier for them to find you guys. And yeah, just, you know, guys, stay tuned, see, you know, keep, keep watch for future um, shows, future endeavors, future restaurants coming up. And uh, again, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, man. I really appreciate it. Likewise. Good talking to you. Have a great week. You as well, man. Take care. Bye-bye.